0: I'm Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous
1: yet? It was me all along.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Me. Hi. Hi. Happy
1: birthday. Happy belated. Happy
0: yesterday birthday. Was it a good day? It was a good day. You know, I think the coolest part of yesterday was we had crazy thunderstorms, like crazy for LA. Like, Uh I I was like, is that? Thunder? What in the crazy <laughs> thunderstorms,
1: which we never obviously have in the desert. So, uh, or, and that's in LA. funny because the thing that's kind the episode that's coming out today, you specifically reference how there's never any thunderstorms in LA. That's really funny. <laughs> so yeah, so it, it, it
0: was a very chill day in a lot of ways. Um, I spent a lot of time, my cousin came from San Francisco and, um, she stays at uh, the, she stayed at a Sheraton hotel and, um, we, I I woke up, I, I usually on Mondays, I take my, um, like a sunrise hike, but I just wasn't feeling it. I was really tired. And, um, so I just laid around and then I went to my favorite cafe that I recently discovered called Superba. And then I like it. And then, um, uh, I hung out with my cousin and we literally like went to my favorite restaurant, which is tender greens.
1: Do you guys have tender greens over there? No, it sounds. It sounds ch-
0: like a great salad place. Salads and bowls. So my thing is, like, I get really resentful if I sometimes just eat a salad. I need like a grain to go with my salad. Yes. Like,
1: I'm
0: like, I don't want just a salad. So they have these sort of grain and salad bowls with meat and sa- or like salmon, uh, chicken, or veggie or uh, steak. And so, um. Uh, it was delicious it's like my favorite it's so overpriced it's so ridiculous for a fast food place but whatever um it's health it's pretty healthy and that was amazing and then. Yeah. Then around like four, the skies turned really dark and I was like, what is happening? I thought it was fires and then it just burst out and I heard thunder and I was like, what? So it was a really good day. I got some really like lovely uh, messages and there was that huge Facebook outage, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was interesting. The, in- blessed, the blessed
0: Facebook outage. So, so my, my cousin asked me, she's like, well, like, how is it to have no Facebook messages on your birthday? Cause that's when people really go
1: for it. Yeah, and so, you right. know, it's an
0: interesting thing. It is kind of like, Oh, but then it's also like, Oh, I'm missing out. But then it is also really interesting how, right. Like, it's just like going to church on Christmas. Like you go one day a year and you're like, or some people do. And then you're like, Oh, I'm good for the, and so that's the same with the like happy birthday, Facebook messages. So I thought, Yeah, it's just a really good, interesting thing to like not be able, one, to go on social media that we all probably experienced and then two, not be able to get the fix of like happy birthday, happy birthday, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's an interesting psychological situation. So it was, it was,
1: do they know why it went down? Oh yes, girl. I read the most, uh, (laughs) I loved this. This is, I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but it's even psychological, this thing that happens. So Facebook, now I'm going to say this in just the least artful way. People like Bradley Walker are going to be listening to this being like, you're such a goddamn (laughs) idiot. But I'm going to say it in a way that I would understand. So maybe other people understand too. Facebook's, an infrastructure, their their technological infrastructure and their servers and everything, it's all Facebook brand. Let's say they don't interface really with other companies. They're they're a what is that called vertical integration? It's like one stop shopping. Everything that they do and produce and need and use, it's all within Facebook. So that's fine, except for when there's a problem and the override to the problem is also a facebook entity and then the <laughs> right so they were even having the problem that they couldn't get into the server room because the key card that they needed to open the door to get into the server room was a bit. hilarious brilliant brilliant and it's, like,
0: and it's it does go to, to the same it sort of speaks to the um the thing about pathology and addiction and stuff, which is you can't fix the problem with the same mind that created the problem or has the problem. And that's what they
1: experienced. Oh my gosh. You know, and it's like, don't be a closed loop. You know, like this is the problem with being a closed loop. I mean, I understand it like an, in, in an emotional way, I understand the desire to be a closed loop because you get into this thing of like, I can't rely on anybody else. You can only rely on myself and like everybody else disappoints me. I'm that Mark Zuckerberg has that written all over his face. Like he is such a hard on for the world. Like he has such a chip on his shoulder about like how everybody has wronged him. I feel, I mean, I don't know him, but that's just what it seems like. And so his desire to have everything be controlled by himself, is understandable and it's a, it is going to be the thing that leads to his downfall. Whatever it the case whatever the downfall is, we can be sure that it has something to do yes. with his desire to have everything, everything be within his control. Yeah, and I think it
0: is going to be his undoing. And I think it is like we saw yesterday and 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 um I I mean it just was such fodder for hilariousness. It was like I literally saw a news headline that was and i don't remember what it was some paper in london or something that said um facebook and twitter and whatsapp are down maybe you should take this opportunity to go down on someone else
1: or something like that it was like oh hilarious
0: God. like everything the LA went- public
1: library said for everybody's information we're not down we're still open <laughs> By the way, the thing about uh, the storms, you can always tell you can instantly know it's raining in L.A. because one million pictures of the rain. It's like every, it's such an event. Everybody's and Instagramming
0: it. Everyone. It's so interesting. It's like weather is so like basic, like people yes. we're so affected by weather, even if we pretend not to be like it's a great unifier. Yeah. And we're just it's just and I like it because it's the great thing that like no one can control right like speaking of control Mm -hmm. like he'll i mean one day elon musk will probably figure out how to control the weather but until then nobody can and it's fantastic
1: speaking of elon musk did you see that picture of grimes reading the communist manifesto i mean that if that should have been that photograph should have been in the museum of camp like so for people who don't know grimes was is this singer woman that's was elon musk's girlfriend and they broke up and then she's got this very you know obviously staged photo of herself in head to toe whatever crazy yeah, leather I mean, what? iridescent leather, with her long ass nails and her makeup reading carl marx if you put it you know if you saw it in a museum you'd be like that is hilarious, but it's really what she did. It's really what she did. I mean, I like, what goes so through? Funny. Yeah, what goes through someone's mind
0: to want to stage a photo like that, or was it someone else?
1: Or like, what? What is? I the... think I think that these in, that these millennials love to have their picture taken reading a book. That's like the best. Oh, that's just such a prop, you know? Right? Like, did you watch? Did you watch the White Lotus?
0: No, I saw um, I started 9 Perfect Strangers though. Oh girl, let's get into okay. it. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. far
1: how far into it? No, no, it are I you?
0: just literally started and okay, I was like okay. what is what is I yes. I <clears throat> um Yeah, it's very it, it's it's if it was very triggering for me like to see what really? is ha- Yeah, like I just I don't understand. Um, okay. Here's what happens to me. I get very, um, overstimulated and I also, um, get distracted by the way people look. Right. So like, mm, well, I'm yeah, just like, what you're going to say, well, Kidman, right. It's like, yeah. it's hard for me to not go into feeling afraid and feeling like, um, That just frightens me when people change their appearance so much uh, because I wonder what it is. Oh, because I'm probably scared that I'll do it or people I love will feel the need to look a certain way and they look crazy. However, it's what I think it's well written. Um, I don't understand what's happening yet, but I I yeah.
1: Are they is it similar to White Lotus or no? it's similar to white Lotus just in the sense that it's for the most part, it's, you know, people with money going right. to a, but they're going to this wellness retreat and it's this place that nobody, it doesn't need to advertise. It exists solely on word of mouth. Um, and I I don't, um, I'm not sure. I haven't read if there's going to be a season two, this, this whatever they did is six episodes or nine episodes. Yeah. And it tells a pretty complete story. So, Um, yeah, I had the same feeling about Nicole Kidman. What it brings up for me is I feel so worried for her. I feel like she's going to break. She's so thin and she's so um, altered. Her appearance is so altered that it just makes me worry about what's happening and well, it, you know, it, it, for her she, inside people like her and i have a
0: similar thing with joe biden even though they're not they look translucent to me and i think that you can like almost see their inside it's the weirdest thing but like you can kind of see the inner workings of their body and it's just very very disconcerting it's very bizarre but that and it's not so much. I, I, you know, I actually look plastic surgery. And we've talked on this podcast before. I don't, I, I, I don't want to sh- like, I really don't want to shame anyone for getting it because I feel like that doesn't help gotta, the problem.
1: Yeah. And you got to do what people have to do. It works for them. It doesn't help
0: to say no one should get plastic surgery. I mean, that is like, again, I'm always going back to saying, tell a crack addict, don't smoke crack. It's, you don't, I'm not saying people are all addicts that do surgery, but what I'm saying is the shit doesn't help to shame people. It just doesn't. I made help for a hot second. Um, and then, but it is like, right. It is just, um, it is just, I think I, you and I probably both see the, uh, the underlying pathology that leads someone to think that that is, what they need to do to stay something relevant happy whatever it is it is a it we I cannot help but see it as a cry for help even if it's even if that's not what they're trying to do when it is that altering there's got to be a cry for something what is it? a cry for relevancy a cry for youth a cry for please don't change nothing can change you know
1: you know what it makes me think of? I wonder if we're all so scared by the idea that you could be Nicole Kidman and still hate yourself. She is an amazing actor. She's truly talented. I don't agree with her being cast as Lucille Ball. I feel that was that was low down and dirty. But at the same time, she's a really good actor. Yeah. um, But you could be her and have the money and have the life and whatever and have the career and you could still really, really hate yourself. Yeah. Or like feel that you have
0: to change. I guess that's what it is. Like feel that you have to take such drastic steps to change the outside um, or maintain what you think. See, the other thing is like to maintain what you think you looked like, which isn't what you looked like. Because you can never look like what you looked like because time changes you. So it is this weird like, dude, you never looked like this. And you looked young, but that's not the same as looking like this. So I, and it is very, um, what is it? It's scary to me. It's, it just takes me out of the, it's hard for me to get past it and say, because what I say is like, oh my God, there was a human in there. Mm Mm-hmm. That yeah. didn't look like the same with Madonna. I have the same same oh, thing when oh, I look I, at Madonna. I
1: simply, can, I simply cannot look at a picture of her. It is so grotesque. She, it's sad. It's really, really, really sad. Yeah, but you know, I will just say about Nicole Kidman. She does such a good job in this. Uh, you'll get over it. Okay. Like it, in a couple okay. of episodes, you'll kind of you kind yeah. of get past it, and it good. kind of in a way works for the character, even though it's it's never something that gets addressed. It, sure, it, it may, you can find a way okay. that it makes sense. I'm gonna but continue.
0: Madonna,
1: yeah. Okay. But so Madonna yeah, Madonna. Is Madonna. Just,
0: uh, is starting to look like a tiger, like an animal,
1: like a. She's looking. She looks like Jocelyn Wildstein right. or right. whatever that woman's. Yeah, that's yeah. what she She's looks like. She's starting
0: to look feline esque, and um, it, what what is interesting or I don't know, interesting, disturbing to me is that just for me, growing up in the eighties, what she represented to me as such a rebel, a free spirit, a. And you could argue that she's just doing this and she's more of a free spirit by saying, F you, I'm going to, I'm going to alter my face. But it's again, like, first of all, it's like, why, why are we doing this? And also why does it bother me? Like, those are the two things I asked myself, you know, and it, it, but I'm sure people listening might be like, well, it bothers you because you want to do it or whatever, I don't necessarily want to do that, but what I want is, you know what, it's different. It's different for me because I never have felt like at one point I would, if we had, if we had, uh, Madonna on our show, I would love to ask, Hey, she went to U of M, I think in a conservatory, but it was dance. I think she didn't finish, but anyway, I would love to say like, Okay, did you feel like at the height of maybe material girl stat, whatever, did you feel like the total shit? Like you were the shit? Did you ever have a moment? Okay. I have, n- I have had so few of those moments where it's like on that level, you know, like what I imagine it is when you just know you're the shit at some point and mm-hmm. you're an icon, whether mm-hmm. you, whether you, what direction you take from there, that's, but you must have a moment of being like, damn, I am the, a boss ass bitch. Okay, fine. I've never experienced that. So I think wanting to hold on to that and people telling you, you can hold on to that feeling by altering this, your face must be really, really seductive. Now I have always been like a bigger human in a lot of ways for most of my life. Like I don't have the same feeling that I was ever on top of the world. But, and it's just such a, it's just a tricky thing because are they, do they feel like they're on top of the world or they feel less than, and that's why they're doing this.
1: I don't know. Well, I thought you were going to say that the reason it was upsetting to you is because you want to have role role models is not really the right word, but you want to have examples of older powerful women right. who just who just age. That, that I mean that that we are so thirsty or I feel so thirsty for just more I can't believe how many times on this podcast I bring up Meryl Streep but more Meryl Streeps more people who are just like yeah I'm I'm getting older and I mean maybe she's had some work done I don't know but she looks essentially like the same person. Yes. Glenn Close looks essentially like the same person. Uh, and certainly, you know, um Angela Bassett and um Halle Berry yeah. now they're they're blessed with genes that make them not really seem to ever age but still I'd love to see some people who say yeah I'm a badass because I've had all of these yeah. experiences and because I've lived this life.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is a part of me that's like wait a second, why right is no one Uh, no woman untouched by the pressure to to be a certain way Mm -hmm. why why and and where are they and there are them but like yeah i mean madonna i have to say like she i had a a poster on my wall i dressed as her for halloween like i just thought oh my gosh this is amazing Mm -hmm. and um And now I'm, it is troubling to look at. It's just troubling. It just looks troubling to me. It feels troubling. So,
1: And it's also that it's, you know, I think one thing that has been consistent with her and people like her is she's never satisfied. It's part of what makes her work ethic so strong, but it's the other thing. The other part of it is like, she's literally never satisfied it. You know, she she can never look young enough she right. can never look same whatever. with Michael Jackson right like
0: his his drive his his uh perfectionism his is the, are the things that made him a megastar in part I mean talent too but like talent is a lot of for me made up of drive and so uh and timing but also drive and um and not giving up before the miracle happens for you whatever that is but like but that's the same thing, right? Like you're saying, that made him go over the edge of bonkers land, like bonkers land. And then you add all the money and nobody wants to tell them no. Like working for working for Nick Cage, I experienced that all the time. People were petrified to tell him, no, don't buy that thing because it's going to be bad in the long run. People were Because scared. he would just fire them? Well, I think that was the fear or the fear of getting in trouble or disappointing your boss, people pleasing, all that stuff. Oh, are you, you have a cold?
1: Yes, I pressed the mute button while I'm blowing my nose. Oh,
0: sorry. I heard you. I just, oh. Poor baby,
1: um, it's okay. We, my whole family is sick. We, um, but we tested. Nobody has COVID. It's yeah. just a cold. You know, it sounds whatever. like a straight up cold. Yeah, it's a straight up cold. That's yeah. Right.
0: Anyway, so, so I, I just, I, I, you know, it just brings up a lot of stuff for me about like how far am I willing to go to to not change. That's the thing. It's like we we we're trying not to change. I don't think when change is part of life. And then by doing that, we counteract it by doing all these changes that look crazy. It's just, it's just intense. And someone was asking me, how does it feel to be 46? And I said, here's the thing. I am taking better care of myself than I ever have my whole life. If I was in a bad place with that, I think the age really would bother me, but mm-hmm. I really acknowledge that I am not I, I am not perfect, but I have a practice of how to take better care of myself than I did a year ago, so I'm going in the right direction.
1: Absolutely, but you are. Yeah. I'm
0: also not famous with cameras in my face every two seconds. I don't know what that's like. That must be weird. So, look, I'm not be. saying it's all I, weird. Yeah,
1: it, that's the thing. It's everybody has their shit. Like It, it, it honestly doesn't matter what what your situation is. Everybody has their shit and you're always gonna have your shit. And you're never gonna reach a point where you're like, oh, finally, right I'm free of all my shit. You know, right. It's just the process. It's just a process of letting go. So um did you start watching The Way Down? OMG. I mean that story has everything. It has cults, it has religion, it has anorexia, it has Weight murder, loss. Yeah. it has child abuse. It, I was just like wow it has every conceivable storyline okay. i
0: what a uh, uh, full transparency i read the article and then i saw some youtubes but i haven't watched the actual thing yet but i i don't be, it's hard to believe that this is real so why don't you tell people what we're talking about here
1: okay so the way down is a Documentary, a uh, docu series on HBO Max, and I have to say it's not like the best docu series. It feels very rushed, I, you know, because it all just happened. It all literally just happened. They're
0: so, trying to get a jump on the whole. They're trying story. to get the
1: jump on it, and it's beautifully photographed and everything like that. But it's like, but wait, there's so much left unsaid. It's like so much. They just gloss over certain certain things that you were like, wait, but I want to know so much more about that. So, and what's crazy? The craziest thing is that I never heard of this story. Me neither. And it's it's such a big deal. Okay, so this woman named Gwen Shamblin um, was part of something called the Church of Christ, which has been around for 200 years. Um, It's a very, you know, fundamentalist Christian religion, where women can't hold positions of leadership and blah, blah, blah. She was a part of that church. She started something in the 80s called way down w e i g h down ministries and she did weight loss for the lord jesus doesn't like you fat and you know instead of bowing down to the refrigerator you bow down to him and she made the tapes and she remember in the days where you'd like get oh yeah stick thing with the cassette, oh, she cassette. Made tapes yep. she made a ton of money and then she started her own church um because why wouldn't she, she why was, not she was getting you know successful and and, and that allowed her to be the leader, but she never said that she was the leader. She always said the leader was all these men behind her, but of course it, it was her church. And um, it, it just became a really serious, serious cult that people had to get out of. And it's exactly like Scientology in that way. And people who left get followed by private investigators and lots of money gets funneled into legal defense whenever they get sued. And and it has this tax exempt status because it's a church and it's just basically a, a scam. Um, she got into a plane crash and died. She and her husband and two other or three other leaders in the church were in a small plane in Smyrna, Georgia, that on takeoff, it crashed. And so now one of the most interesting parts of the story is she had two, she has two children and the son was a guy is a guy who used music. Like that was his ministry playing guitar and singing. Um, And she really wanted him to take over the church, but he has a weight problem. He fluctuates. He goes up and down with his weight. So therefore he cannot be the leader of the church and her daughter looks like a true and sincere skeleton and that's who's that's who has taken over the church and this woman had the audacity on more than one occasion to say that in the death camps the the um people lost weight because they didn't have food so that's like her role model I mean, oh my like, God. the daughter's no, role model or the lady or that's Gwen. The, Gwen? That's what Gwen said. Oh, my God. Anyway, so she's crazy and a megalomaniac, and it's all about psychology because she was part of a church that wouldn't allow her to be a leader. And the guy she married is was some, after she dumped the husband who was fat, the guy she married second was a guy who played Tarzan on the TV movie of Tarzan who was always looking for his next sugar mama and wanted to have a country music career so he moved to this all happens in Tennessee. So he moved to Tennessee and met her and they became the power couple. Um anyway, it it, it it's not that like I say it's not that it's an amazing documentary, but it's an amazing story. Yeah. And you can and, find it on HBO Max. And I think that it is
0: very I mean, it just makes it it makes perfect
1: sense to me. The church of, you know, the church of weight loss. Honestly, anorexia is the religion that 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 was my takeaway. Like, okay, so what all we've done here is we've turned a mental illness into a religion. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in some ways, there's nothing more to, to be said about it, except there was a bunch of Horrible shit that happened, including a child um, being murdered by his parents because he was. um, They teach the parents to beat the children so that they are um, sit completely still during three-hour church services. Wacko, wacko, wacko. So those those are two of the things. I'm you know being sick means I watch a lot of TV. So I watched Nine Perfect Strangers. I watched The Way Down. I started to watch The Many Saints of Newark, The Sopranos. Oh, yeah. Movie. I wasn't that into it. I didn't make it all the way I through. Didn't,
0: I didn't start it yet. Uh It was
1: boring to you. <clears throat> I mean, the thing I liked about it was drawing the lines like, oh, this is the young Polly Walnuts. Oh, this is, you know, that was kind of interesting. And there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it just, yeah, it just didn't grab me. And then the other thing I'm doing is I'm listening to a podcast called The Plot Thickens, which is um, hosted by Mankiewicz's grandson. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he just goes through like to, through these Hollywood stories. So I'm listening to the story right now, the in-depth story of um, the making of the movie The Bonfire of the Vanities, which oh I never saw. Oh my gosh. But it's an interesting podcast if anybody wants to check it out. The That's Plot so Thickens.
0: fantastic. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm I'm just doing. I'm doing. Um, we're just obsessed with Glee right now. Like I can't stop watching Glee. Glee yeah. is that still yeah. on? No, we're, we're starting. We're starting from the beginning. It went from 2000. It was six years. Started in 2009, and um, Miles stumbled upon it, and uh, I started watching it, and I thought. Holy crap. This is so interesting to see the origins before, right? Ryan Murphy did American Horror Story. Like what? That got? what? So, but you can see inklings of it. It's a very, I don't know if you saw it. It's a very dark show in some ways. Oh my, they tackle these subjects, abortion, anorexia with song, but also they really straddle a line of all these kids don't look like they're in high school so they can get away with like it's so Mm. crazy and some stuff would not go over now at all you're like that's not appropriate but i think the genius is mixing the song with the crazy heavy subjects with the dancing and singing that is phenomenal like these singers are some of them not all of them but you're like this it, it, it's an example of a, a truly innovative television show and it was oh, you know it. and and she was great jane lynch oh
1: yeah yeah she's okay.
0: she's phenomenal and uh she's she was great and i i once auditioned for her she was she was film, I, I have a, spe, spe, a special spot in my heart for her. she was directing a commercial and starring in it in chicago for like Illinois tourism. And I got a call back and she was in the room for callbacks and she was hilarious and lovely. And I had the best time. And my favorite line that I said, it was improv. Right. And at the end <laughs> I said, I said like, I'm supposed, she's supposed to like say something mean to me. And then I, you know, whatever she's like says like, Oh, keep it moving lady. And I said, and I just turned to her and I looked at her and I said, Jay, I said, why do you hate me, Jane Lynch?
1: <laughs> and we
0: all laughed. I didn't get it, but it was really little...
1: Hey, let me run this by you. So two of my children have been the target of anti-Semitism in the last month. Yeah. Um, one of them, it was a whole big deal where he told us immediately, which was great. He told his teacher immediately, which was great. And then when he came home and told us, we really worked collaboratively. And actually, it was it's all due to my husband, because he's been through this before. He knew right away what we needed to do, which was get other kids who were in the room who heard it to corroborate on Snapchat. So we had our son basically reach out to these kids on snap and be like, Hey, remember that thing that kid said, blah, blah, blah. And he got like three kids to corroborate. Um, I communicated with the mother and just said, I'm just letting you know that this happened and we're going to be following up with the school. And then we wrote a kick-ass letter to the administration that was nice. like, listen, you know, you have these policies that are great, but like, this is a racist town and this is a big pro anti-Semitism is a big problem here and like basically what are you going to do about it and and also what can we do to to help you and it it all had a very a mostly happy ending the kid got suspended and the dealt with and they're the school has already been working closely with the anti-defamation league. And we had a very productive meeting with the principal and we all, it all felt great. The only downside was like that the kid who did it was popular. So, so kids were coming up to my son being like, why'd you get so-and-so suspended? But you know, I mean, nothing terrible. So oh we're sitting my God. at dinner on Sunday night and we're talking about something. And then I bring up like how, how, great. I felt like the school handled that, that issue. And then my other son goes, Oh yeah, that reminds me. And then he tells us the story that uh, last week on Thursday, he's in this class and this kid as a quote unquote joke, just starts being like Jew, Jew, (gasps) Jew, Jew, Jew. Jew," And then wrote a swastika on uh, my son's water, water bottle. And he's telling us the story like as such an aside and, oh, oh and God. actually it got brought up because when I was talking about the first story, I said, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other incidents that have happened like this that you've never told us about. And then that's when my 13 year old pipes up and he goes, oh, yeah, it, it happened to me on Thursday. Well, it's significant, A, because it's significant, but B, because the very next day he. Uh, I got a phone call from the principal because they couldn't locate him. Right. They, right. It was, called dur- up. it was during our yes. thing she called me up and she said we cannot locate your child and it and turns out he was hiding in the bathroom and he you know and i thought it was because he just wanted to you know watch tv which is what he did he was watching tv on his phone and we had a whole constant you know, talk about it and consequences and it was a whole thing Then, and we're trying to ask him, what was it motivated by? What was it motivated by? And he kept saying like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then he tells us the story and it was that class, the class that he's left, that he skipped out on was the class that the day before this kid had done this. Oh my God. And we're going, honey, don't you think there's any relationship? But I understand why he... Teases. I understand why he keeps it separate in his mind because if he really, too faced, painful. It's too painful, right? So he's like, he kept saying, like, but it really didn't affect me, and and I said, okay, you know what? That's fine. It it, it doesn't have to have affected you, and we're not going to pursue it in the same way that we pursued the other thing. I mean, I I did let the principal know, but we're not like asking for a meeting and asking for, you know, punishment for this other kid. We're just saying, like, hey, FYI, this is going on. And, you know, the thing that I wanted to run by you is just like, as a, as parents, we have to do a lot of balancing, standing up for our kids and doing the right thing with their desire that's very understandable to not be ostracized further for for having said something. And it's just this untenable position where like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you don't say anything and you go along that's why this this stuff persists and if you do say something then they say why'd you make such a big deal out of it like we just can't win right and I actually don't even really know what I want to say about it except for that it happened yeah
0: maybe you just need to say that it happened out loud and like also to know that one it's a really you're right it's a it's a it's a unwinnable position in it in it it as a parents and it is not fair really that those kids and that you know this this is happening to put you in that position and it's really disturbing that it's happening it's not altogether shocking, but it's disturbing and I think it's like yeah what what when do we want to what hill are we willing to die on in terms of and yeah. you did make a stand with with their their my guess is it's different schools or yeah, different school? schools. Okay. Yeah, different schools. So you took a stand with the high school, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really important because high school is so it's like when you learn all this stuff about oh my God, what is happening in the world? That's when I started to be like, oh my gosh, really knowing like what's, what is right, what is wrong and why, why and social stuff. So I think, but I, and I think that by, right. I think by doing that, you set a tone for the family and the town and that you, it just, to me, it's like, it's not even pick your battles. It's like, pick where it's going to be painful, right? So like, where does the pain, where am I focusing the pain body? And you can't focus it on too many things at one time, right? Or you'll die. I mean, everyone would. So you're doing what you're doing is like meeting of the minds of the parenting. I mean, I think you handled this situation impeccably in terms of not ignoring it, which is what God bless my parents, you know, probably would have done. Uh, not getting c- completely hysterical and calling nine one one in the news because that that's like very reactionary. And that's also would have been fine reaction, but I'm not sure that it helps the, the, it wouldn't kid, have helped. Yeah. the kid and your, you know, yeah. and so you did you, what I'm hearing is that you did like, you did a concerted effort to like, triage the situation in a way that was going to be the least amount of pain possible without sweeping it under the rug. And some things cannot get swept under the rug because they just, yeah. as we know, come back bigger and badder and oh, uglier. Absolutely.
1: And, and actually I had this very conversation with my son because he, he, he kept being like, it's not that big of a deal. And I said, listen, this is the thing that people don't realize when, when they think about genocide of, of any kind it doesn't start with one day some tyrant comes in and starts killing everybody it starts with like don't you think those people are pretty lame yeah don't you think those people are pretty disgusting don't you think those people are pretty evil let's kill them all I mean it's just like it's just a series of steps that you know that's theoretically, absolutely right if you could interject at steps one and two maybe we don't get to step four maybe we do either way but that's exactly what is. That, that is the sort of creeping crud of our country right now. Just, well, like, and it also ties
0: this. It ties into like, to, for me, if I had a kid, I would say, listen, my people pleasing to sweep things under the rug has caused so much damage to myself and other people. And that by sweeping this under the rug or pretending and being that it didn't happen and not taking steps to protect you and our family and the rest of the world... What I'm doing is actually super harmful to us and is very uh, dangerous in a way. My people-pleasing desire to not follow through on this, which I can totally relate to, uh, you know, if you might have that as a kid, I would say, is going to kill us one day. Yeah, so like yeah, I can't, right. you know, yeah. and it, it becomes like a, it's like a life and death, like dangerous A health issue. You know what I mean? Like to ignore shit like this. It's it's a it's a it's a health crisis, really. If you don't, yeah, absolutely. And and I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And and but it's also like, yeah, it's going to be really uncomfortable. It's going to be really uncomfortable for everybody involved.
1: Pretty much.
0: Wow! Pretty much. Wow! Okay, get it together. Get it together. <sighs> yes. Schools.
1: Like, yes. Get it together. Get it together. Absolutely.
0: Towns. Get it together. <laughs> and also, it shouldn't just be. And I. I this is interesting. Be you know. I will. One final thing. It's like, um, get it together, allies. That's what I will yeah, say. We yeah. as allies that I, you know, I am not a Jewish person, but I had to, you know, it, it's like, I have to call myself out and say, okay, if I was in that classroom, what would I do? What would I say? Because it's going to happen in some context, some way. And I am not mm-hmm. Jewish. It doesn't matter that it I'm not matter. Jewish. Like, right. that's the right. thing,
1: you know, yeah. Yeah. other, yeah. Not stop othering people. So it's- oh, amen God. to that. Oh, wow. Amen to that. Yeah. Hello, survivors. This week, we are guestless, or another way of saying it is we are the guests. We are talking about, on the essentially one-year anniversary of our starting this endeavor, what our thoughts are now after all these conversations, what we think now about survival. Please enjoy.
0: I thought... I thought, you know, I thought that if you were right, a black and white thinking, like if someone said no, mm, that meant many things, but it it meant no forever, no on you, no on the core of who you are. <sighs> No, forever like you're done and I'm realizing as I get this past year and a half as we've lived through this time and as I've moved and as I I I just am realizing like oh my gosh like yeah things are a lot more loosey-goosey than I would have predicted Mm, in my life mm -hmm. in terms of Everything, it, nothing, nothing, nothing seems linear anymore. Like because of the pandemic and time doesn't seem linear anymore. And like, because of the pandemic, all this and, and, and the aftermath and the election, nothing seems um, right. Predictable steps. Right. So I always thought that there were predictable steps in life. It's couldn't be further from the truth. I, I, I I'm just seeing it yeah. in front of my face yeah. With my life and other people's life, So I wanted to share this response because when I shared about it online, people like messaged me and were like, oh my gosh, I so needed this. And I think the thing they needed is the idea that, right, right. Someone could genuinely want to help you, but think that their help may harm you or not help Mm. you. Like Mm -hmm. it's just not a right fit. And it doesn't. And, and, and look, they could be bullshitting too. It doesn't even, but like the thing is that they're people aren't bad when they say no. And I think that comes down to, to, to my, you know, obviously my people pleasing and stuff like that. But I thought if someone told, you no either you were bad or they were bad, someone had to be bad. And oh yeah, that's not true. I, I'm just like, Oh, that's not the case. So like, anyway, I'm just having all these realizations this morning. So I just wanted to share this letter because I think it's really important to put it out there to people that like, you can be told no, but it can also be a good thing. Like I just had mm-hmm. no idea that this was possible. So, okay. I'm going to write, I'm going to read it. Cause it's so hopeful. Um, So background is I sent a query about my writing to a woman that I had followed and followed her clients and wanted, just thought she's, she's in New York city, but I thought, what the heck I'll reach out. She seems really cool. She has like, she, she puts on her Twitter profile that she's an advocate. So I was like, okay, um, I will totally, totally, totally reach out to this lady, which I did. And I wrote, um, a really kick-ass letter, but the point is I wanted to read this. Okay. Hi, Jen. Well, thank you for one of the best query letters I've ever received. The next time I'm speaking to a class and telling them how to communicate by email, I should perform this. I couldn't agree more that you have all the makings of a future badass TV writer. I know this is the perpetual AEA membership slash chicken and egg equation, but I don't think it would be helpful for me to introduce you cold to someone in my TV department. They are too overwhelmed with chasing the people their clients and buyers are putting in their path and looking to nab people out of the CAA-ICM merger. So I'll say this. If a showrunner meeting turns into a job offer and you're taking agency meetings, please circle back and I'll hook you up with someone in LA. In the meantime, know that you delighted an agent who gets terrible query emails all day long and wonders why anyone would waste their time writing them, which says to me, someone with your savvy and moxie and hustle is going to get their break and tear the walls down
1: to remake Hollywood. Love. Oh my Goodness gracious. So, so, so it's
0: just, it's a case in point of like, this lady does not want at this moment to do the thing I want her to do. Right. She does not want to, to introduce me to her lit team,
1: but she but did for a very important reason,
0: a specific important reason. She also took the time. What I'm saying is we can take the time to, if we are called to, to write, or to respond in a way, even with a no, that is helpful for gosh, even if she yeah. hadn't said it would have been enough. If she had said, thank you for your query. I, I don't think I can actually help you at this point, but she went further and all that stuff is lovely and it gives me hope. And, and it, and it sort of speaks to me about survival. It's what helps me to survive is that kind of the kindness, but it's also just, it's just, um, Resp- it just felt like a really responsible response.
1: Yes, and for people who have never had the privilege of reading one of Boz's <laughs> query letters, what you are is radically genuine. You You get across information that everybody has to get across, like who you are and what you're asking for and what your background is and what you bring to the table, but you're not doing it in a boilerplate way. And I think that probably maybe not a high percentage, but maybe the majority of people writing these letters, they've, they've looked online. They've looked for an example of a query letter. They've modified it, you know, to, with their particulars and called it a day. And your thing is like, no, no, let me tell you who I am. And I, I couldn't agree with her more, first of all. And it's so amazing that, um, She got to the scent, you know, she got, well, I mean, it's not so amazing because you told her exactly who you were. She knew exactly who you were and she saw the goodness in you. I
0: and... sh- I just was shocked. And, I, and I, I celebrated it as if she had said the thing I wanted her to say. Yeah. It was crazy. And I've never done yeah. that in my life. Never. It was always like, oh, yeah, she could say or they could say all that stuff, but they didn't give me what I wanted. They didn't mm-hmm. do the thing I wanted them to do or I think I want them to do. So I throw the baby out with the bathwater and F that or F me is more, more, but I just, this time I thought I'm not going to do that.
1: When I'm casting something and I have people to call backs and then I don't cast them. I write them all individual emails. And I say, listen, this, I don't maybe necessarily say like, this is what you don't have, but I say, this is what you do have. And I'm sorry, it didn't work out for this and to a person they all write me back like oh my god i can't believe you took the time to and granted i'm not like some bigwig, so i have more time but still um putting a just a, a little goes a long way and this is this is the thing that i'm hearing kind of in the zeitgeist right now um apropos of you know um broadway being back and people on theater twitter are saying listen, we're not going to return to just these work 24 hours a day and make $5 like that, that, that has to be over. And this is that classic thing of like, is does one grain of whatever is one drop of water make a difference? No, but an ocean can kill an entire population. So if people uh, band together, a it, well, if people identify who they are, Identify what they want, figure out the boundaries that, that that they have, and then stick to them. That is undeniable. You can't have a, a a a bunch of executives or people in charge hiring people if all of those people say, "I refuse to be treated badly."
0: Right. It's got to start somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's got to start somewhere, and it's and so I really feel a sea change, and I think it is another you know um, silver lining of the pandemic because people have really reevaluated what's important to them and a lot of people are saying i i don't need to stand for this you know mistreatment anymore so good for you I, that's awesome and that is out of boys and out of girls that is one of the things that helps you survive, survive. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I just
0: wanted to start out with that because I just really... That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So yeah. today we are without a guest, but today we're... It's been a year since we started this podcast. And wh- I think that when we started it, we, we thought... Or I'll speak for myself. When we started it, I thought, oh, this will be a fun way to kind of put ourselves out there so that we can then go on and do the next thing. And what I've come to is this. is Yeah, it is fun. Um, but this is turns out to be an important thing on its own, even if it's only for the, you know, 200 people <laughs> this, who, who are directly affected, you know, by the stories that we've been telling about their theater school experience. Um, Because the thing that I've been coming to in this last year and a half, I I mean, and I'll preface this to say, like, if you don't like to hear about touchy-feely things, maybe this isn't going to be the episode for you. I have changed and learned so much in these last months, years. I mean, it's like. it's nothing short of a total transformation in terms of what's important. And and I previously would have thought of a transformation as only being something that happened to me externally, how I looked. Okay. But the transformation that really needed to happen this whole time was an internal transformation. It was started by, I mean, it was started by a lot of things. It was, it was accelerated by the pandemic and by my sister's death, and by this podcast, um, having the opportunity to reflect, to help people reflect on their time, and then to, in turn, reflect on my time. And I've really like pretty much answered all of the questions about why what happened happened in, in a way that I didn't know that I needed to do. I, I didn't know when we started this that I needed to process theater school. I had no idea. When I decided to not pursue a career in this anymore, I shut the door and I pretended like it was over. And I pretended like I didn't need to think about it again. I also pretended like I didn't need to have a creative outlet and that, you know, and it was problematic for that, but this has made me Yeah, just this has made me do something that I didn't know needed to be done. And we have heard the same thing from other people over and over. I mean, I think it's just um,
0: the idea. Yeah, it turned from sort of a. Yeah. Like a, I I agree, like a way of saying, Hey, here we are. What is the vehicle that we can sort of, that we have a, a common bond between us, a common shared experience in our past. And let's talk about that. And then let's bring on people that also like, let's make the circle bigger, but it really has turned into this, this, this healing opportunity for us. Big time, but also from for other people that like have never talked about their experience going to a theater conservatory ever before, and and yeah. I mean that's insane. So it, it it to me, if nothing else, the people, yeah. If nothing else, you're right. Like even if even if it was just for us, even if it was just for you and me, even if it yeah. was just for you, even if it was just for. But it's not. But it, even if it was, I think that's important because, um, like you said, there, there, we never fully shut the door on anything. You can pretend good for you. If you can pretend maybe good for you. I don't know, but like you, you can't, it doesn't work that way. Like that's not how we're built as animals. Yes. Right. We, it just, you can try good luck to you. Yeah. It comes back. It comes back. Everything comes back and it, It has to, because either it comes back and you deal with it, or it comes back and you keep trying to shut the door until you either, you know, whatever, it becomes harmful. It becomes a painful, harmful reminder that you're not looking at something. And you can, you could deny it. I could deny it for the rest of my life, but let me tell you something. It's, it's, I'm going to have. I mean, it's not just the theater school, but any experience, then I'm going to have heart issues, right? I know for me, if I don't deal with my rage and that's part of going to the whole theater school and becoming an actor and not being picked and all that shit that we talked about that or talk about that, it turns into rage for me and sadness. If I don't look at my rage and sadness, I get really sick. I'm not saying I cause it. I want it. I deserve it. But I'm saying that is my experience that when I don't deal with my shit, I end up in trouble. Trouble. Like tangible trouble that I need medications for.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And my experience when I don't deal with that stuff is that I am hard to love and and hard to give love, you know, like that's where that's where things go off the rails for me, because what I have also learned is my primary coping mechanism um, that I'm sure I've had since childhood is dissociation. Mm -hmm. It is to, which is why I feel like theater school was a fog, which is why I have about certain areas of my life, just memory gaps. Depression causes memory loss too, or affects your memory. But but specifically, I've realized for me, it's trauma. It's my ability to rot, you know, float outside of my body and uh, yeah. behave as though I'm not really there. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not really there. No. And it is,
0: you know, I've been, I watched another documentary about um, uh, DID disorder, dissociative identity disorder. And the first case um, posts the whole, like right around the Sybil time and that, but anyway, but, but one thing, whether or not the guy's faking or not, one thing you cannot deny is that the trauma of a human being is so, is so, um, it is so undeniable. The trauma is so undeniable that whether or not the guy was faking DID or whether we dissociation, we know comes from pain. So, so you can deny anything you want, but the guy, whether the pain is self-caused or other people hurt us, it's the real deal by by
1: the way i just like to say something about when people talk about you know faking mental illness yeah faking mental illness is just a different kind of mental illness exactly if you are in a position where you don't have a certain illness and you feel that you need to pretend that you do then you just have a different we're just looking at the wrong thing i think that's (laughs) so brilliant
0: because because it's like let's look at why these people are lying lying comes from another coping mechanism because the truth is so painful so it's all you're right it's all part of the same fucking thing it's It's just the the way it comes out yeah so and also yeah if someone yeah right i also don't give a shit if someone's faking a mental illness unless they're trying to extort something from me right because they're in pain Like, so I think that that's the thing is like, whether the trauma of going to theater school was minor, medium or major, I think people are really sort of uh, craving opportunities to look at it in a safe way. That's not like we're not going to judge them. We're also we don't care about the party line. We're not like we're also not police. We're not doing investigations on who did what and who said what. That's not our job. Our job, I think, is really just to hold a space and, like, like um, for me anyway, uh, uh, provide a space and with humor and compassion and 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 some sort of maybe insights we hadn't the the person our guest may not have thought about before and asking some questions. But like, we're yeah, we're providing a space for people to look at some of the stuff that went down that maybe is still affecting them today and getting in the way maybe of yeah. like having a life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote down some notes, too, and I thought maybe I would just go through them and you can you can jump in um, when something resonates with you. But uh, so in the year since we began the podcast, I've had several major internal shifts. I began the journey of returning to my artistic brain about three years ago. And prior to that, it had been a long and dark tunnel that I wasn't sure I would ever get out of. Truly, I was yeah. not sure I would ever get out of the the just completely dark. I mean, I don't want to go too far into it, but it, I, I was I went through a dark time and I didn't think it was going to end. And how did
0: it I just want to know, like, I, I'm curious about the you say like a creative I mean, it sounds like it was dark in general, but in specific, like what was the creativity part that got shut down? Like, do you know, like,
1: well, when, when I decided to become a therapist, it was in part a, a decision to, to leave behind any kind of thought of acting or writing or directing or making a living in the theater. Got it. And I think I just dealt with it in the way of like, I just closed the door Got it. and I couldn't see plays. It was too painful oh. for me to go to see a play. And I, I mean, I watched TV and movies and stuff like that, but I really divorced myself wow. from that. I felt like I, I must have felt like that was the only safe way to do it. You know, just mm-hmm. completely shut it down. And w- I did this without knowing that that would hurt me.
0: Right. Of course. Right. You're not, you didn't try to hurt yourself. Right.
1: Cause I always thought this thing about being an artist or whatever, it was just a luxury. It's just a, you know, like I, I I never thought, and I know people would disagree with this, but that's okay. I never thought that art was a a very vital and like, like you have to have it in humanity has to have it. And we know this because humanity has had it since cave paintings, okay? We have an innate desire to make meaning of our lives through the expression of art full stop. And if you're a person who, for whatever reason, is born with this need to express yourself in an artistic way, you simply cannot ignore it. Be, because it's like having a thirst or a hunger that, right. you know, it doesn't go away just because you're not feeding it. In fact, it creates depression. I think it I think it created depression in me. Does that answer your question? That answers my question completely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good. So, um, Being able to express myself and to find meaning where I had lost my way was crucial, has been crucial to my ability to flourish. And even though it's been almost two years of a pandemic, I've somehow found a kind of personal wellness I wasn't sure I would ever return to. Mm. Thinking about my time at the theater school began as a heavy, thick cloud. There was debris I needed to wade wade through. This is informed somewhat by I just watched the 9-11 documentary. Uh And I had never, I never have gone to the museum or anything like that. I really never engaged with it. I, I, I've seen those, I had seen those pictures of people covered in the dust, but I hadn't ever really walked myself through what happened mm-hmm. when the, when the, um, when the buildings collapsed and how mm-hmm. that created nothing short of a, like a volcano mm-hmm. of debris and, mm-hmm. um, when I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, this is kind of what I was doing (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the younger part of my life, sort of walking through in this haze and this cloud. And I don't know, but I'm just going to keep walking. Right. And so that, that informed (laughs) this little image I have here. Um, And so the, so my relationship to myself needed the greatest examination and my relationship with others was both a thing that saved me in theater school. The biggest reason I think I survived in theater school was because of others, but it was the thing. See, here's the thing. Life is with others. There's a good bu- book by Donald Cohen called life is with others. Um, you, maybe some people can, a very a select few people, but you, you have to live your life with other people. <laughs> We're pack animals. And if you if your ability to relate to other people is impaired, if your ability to to relate to yourself is impaired, you feel, you suffer, you Mm -hmm. feel isolated, you feel alone. Mm -hmm. And, and I think where I hurt myself, I also hurt other people. Mm -hmm. My, my inability to, get out of my own self-centered fear at mm-hmm. times my uh, made me not present for my friends who, who were the reason that I survived right <laughs> it, that's this tricky little thing that I'm trying to unpack right now um and you and I have said a lot like that we feel guilty that there's people who we don't really remember and and things that we don't really remember, but it's not because those people weren't important or memorable. It's because we were too under the cloud of our own debris. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is such a good way to put it. And, and literally the level of immaturity because of my trauma and because of my pain and my self-centered, and that turns into self-centered fear. I could not see is this, it's as if I had blinders on to really see people. And listen yeah. to them, and be present, yeah. like you said. Like, yeah, it was not possible the way I was mm-hmm. functioning. I mm-hmm. think it was either, yeah. I mean, I, I for me, I, I I'm pretty sure it was either like sort of like put the blinders on, or you're gonna die. I mean, like, what what are you gonna do? So yeah, you put yeah. your you just get covered in the stuff, and you keep walking.
1: I heard this quote one time on a podcast that was about a reality show, and this guy said. I think he was describing a person. I think she went on this, I think she didn't know who she was. And so she went on a reality show hoping to find herself. And I think that's what a lot of people are drawn to theater school. I don't know who I am. I mean, yeah, they like acting. They're they're artists, whatever. But I don't know who I am. Maybe I'll find it out here. And not to say you don't do that with other programs, too. I'm sure you can do that with a variety of programs. But it really, like... It really gets highlighted in theater school because we're being asked to access ourselves so much.
0: I mean, it's so interesting. It's like there is a mix of, and maybe this is how like conservatory trainings developed. And I've talked a little bit about this before, but there's like such a crazy mix of touchy-feely find yourself, but also no, don't indulge yourself and do the hard work and be really professional. It's a very complicated task to merge those two. So like roll around on the floor and learn, learn who you are and express yourself freely, but not, but not too much. And also in this way that is still going to create a good product that is still going to, you know, there are rules, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. I think it was like, I just didn't under, I didn't understand the rules. Like I couldn't, I couldn't say, oh, okay. Like, uh, come as you are, but not, but don't take up too much time or space or energy from people. So it was a mixed, it's a mixed message. And I think that's just the nature of training and schooling. And yeah. Yeah. So I felt like, oh yeah, I can find out who I am at this hippie dippy place, but not really like, it's not really, that's not the point of it really.
1: Yeah, like you and I, I think we weren't ready to, to, I mean, there there's a reason that people don't come to this stuff until they're our age. There's, there's a reason why this is always the part of people's lives where they start to do reflection. Yes. Uh, you, 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 when you're in the middle of setting your life up and creating all the architecture and infrastructure for your yeah. life- Life is extremely fast paced and it's all life is a lot more about the logistics when you're younger and my next job and I have to move to my next apartment and my next relationship and da da That is very consuming. Yeah. <laughs> so most people, by the time they're our age, a lot of that has settled down. They know what their partner is and they know where they're living and, and then, and then it's time because we, even if we had had the greatest therapist, let's say, when we were in theater school, we would not have been capable of doing the work that that we needed to do. Yeah. No, no. Okay. So, um, yeah, memory gaps related to the trauma that I hadn't processed before theater school that made me dissociate while I was there what actually made me survive. I haven't been previously aware of the importance I have not previously. And this is germane of what I was saying about life is with others. I really think I have mostly taken relationships for granted in my life, like relationships. It's not a thing you have to work on. It's not, you know, it's just, there's people in your life and therefore you have relationships with them. And if they leave your life, you know, maybe that's painful, but I had, not really seen that a relationship is like a, um, I don't want to say it's like a job, but it's like a, it's a project. Having a relationship with somebody is a project that you have to have an intention for and you have to have skills to do it well. And you have to have the capacity to assess how you're doing with it, <laughs> and, and and not not to make it seem like it's some, I don't know, financial thing. I, I I just mean if if you're not treating your relationships like they're a thing that you have to work on, then you should probably work on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I yeah, I didn't know. I don't think what relationships were I thought relationships were because because I think my self-esteem was so low I thought it was like the only relationship that that really mattered was the one with your parents and then the one with your romantic
1: interest love interest right and and it, and but even those all three of those is about whether or not they approved of you right Right. It's not relationships really, but that's what yeah.
0: I thought it was. I yeah. thought it was that. And now I'm like, Oh, I have to participate in my own life. Like I have mm-hmm. to, I mm-hmm. am part, I live here in this <laughs> yes. life. Like I didn't think I lived here. You know, when people say, you know, I like her, but there's no, there there. I, I never understood what that meant until I'm like, Oh, cause I felt like, I can relate to that of not being a there there, you know, mm. not being a there there in my own life and I'm like, "Oh yes, there's no there's no there there. You have to be there in your own life." Like fully present, you have to, show up, you have to yeah. show up. And I yeah. never knew, okay, Miles, we got this situation going.
1: Oh, we got little Doris. Hello, Doris. on.
0: Miles, <laughs> can you get Doris out of here?
1: Doris yeah, she is came in.
0: Star. She's a star. Doris
1: is a star.
0: What? Okay. I don't know. She opened the door. She's magic. <laughs> okay.
1: Thank you. All right. Sorry about that.
0: Sorry. She wants my your door? attention.
1: Thanks. Okay. She wants, anyway, she wants your attention. So yeah, if there,
0: yeah, she totally does. So if there's no there, there, you have no hope of ever getting better in getting, having better relationships. I didn't understand that. I thought, Oh, you're pretty and skinny. And you, then you find someone that adores you. And then you find relationships that are great. Cause people hire you. I, I didn't get it. I, I didn't yeah. get it. And so when people are like, go back, come back to me and say, you know, I always thought you were so, you were so nice, but you were so like, uh, oh, like even in grad school, these people are like, Oh, you always left at lunch and went and got a manicure or like, weren't available to us. And I was like, what? Because I spent the whole time thinking they didn't like me. They were all part of a thing. I lived in Chicago. They lived in LA and my school, my grad school. And I flew in, I didn't, I just totally separated myself, but believe me, it wasn't because I had, I had a, I felt I had a choice.
1: Oh girl, I relate to that so much. Wow. That exact thing. I have left so many social situations with the assumption that the people didn't like me and that I needed to remove myself from them only to find out later that they were, they didn't like it that I left. Right. My friend. Yes. My, fr- I remember my friend, I met up with her later, Alexis,
0: Alexa, and she was, um, and we met like 10 years after grad school so much had happened in both of our lives. And she was like, I always really wanted to be your friend, but you seemed so busy and preoccupied. I'm like, Oh my God, that is the, I mean, I was preoccupied with my own stuff, but like, that's like the furthest thing.
1: Yeah. I had nothing going on. (laughs) Nothing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I really, um, because I, and by the way, I'm not saying like that any 19-year-old is amazing at having relationships and I'm not saying that, could, that that I'm alone and being self-centered in my fear, but um but it but I'm just it's significant to me that I'm now really able to own that. And so at the end of the day, the thing that helped me survive theater school was my friendships. Mm-hmm. My very first friend, close friendship, was with Whitney Powell. I have—I don't think I've ever really mentioned Whitney on the podcast. Um, I don't even really necessarily remember how we became friends, but we were friends from like day one, and we did everything together. And she was from the Chicagoland area, so she like had a car, and she introduced me to great things and we did lots of drugs together which <laughs> even though you know I wouldn't do that now I, it was very important to me at the time it actually drugs really did kind of open an important window for me or a door or whatever you want to call it in my life um, and then I became friends with Russell and he was a steadfast friend through school Russell Harden um, and then I became friends with you and I was so sad when you left in third year because I just, I missed you so much. TJ was a, was a great support to me. Patrick Belton, Sean Spratt, JP Cabrera, Chris Gerber, Jeff Brown, Anthony Lacasio, Dave Desmaltion, Libby Scott, who did not go to the theater school, but who I lived with. Uh, and Dan Alexander are all people who helped me learn about myself and helped me um, in my endeavor to to make art. And I'm sorry to all of the people that I really ignored and that I really didn't make time for. And I can tell you that it was not about you, whoever you are. It was about whatever my weird ass ideas were about who, you know, whatever myself and what I needed, what I didn't need. I'm not saying I would do it all over again differently because it had to be the way that it was. But anyway, I feel so much gratitude for the people. Oh, and not to mention the professors. You yeah. Know? Even if, even when I've had negative things to say, uh, they also opened doors for me.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that's, it's just nice to hear that like, Yeah. Like I feel supported that I was supported through that time and know that, yes, I, I just wasn't able, I didn't have the capacity to be a better friend. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the truth. Yeah. And I've worked on myself and I've, I've, um, I figured some things out, but I think this is, this has been, it's interesting to also, Uh, come back to this and have guests on and and everyone that we've had on pretty much um, from at least from the you know from DePaul hasn't been like like people forgive like people Mm -hmm. are moved on for the most part even though we have these painful trauma spots and pain spots people are really like for the most part like i have found in my life like people are really not even forgiving but they're like um they're like open they've done their own they they've tried in some way most of us to do their own work in some shape or form and nobody's like you know, there's very few people I've met that were like, oh, my God, you were you were you were a jerk to me and I'll never forgive you or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, because by the way, they were all inside of their own self-centered. Right. Fear too. Right. And there remembering was, yeah. their experiences through the lens of like thinking that everybody didn't like them. <laughs> oh, I mean, I just I would love if I if I could be a witch and conjure, I would love to go back in time and just have go to one class. Oh my god. Oh my god. And sit there and just watch how we all were, how we all related to each other, what we were clearly focused on, what you know, I it would be fascinating. I would pay 1 million dollars to do that.
0: I think I would be so simultaneously like petrified and excited and like I hope that I wouldn't spend the whole time going, Oh my God, I was so skinny and I thought I was so fat. Like that's my fear of how I would. Oh do god, it. me too, girl, me too. But but after I got over that, I would I would hope that I would be I, I think I would get over that and start watching everybody and be like, Oh my gosh, we were all such hilarious, precious, weird kids kids yeah, that kids. were just trying to get through and some of us you know had more had more savvy in terms of getting through than others and but look hey has anyone have you ever this is a side note has anyone passed away that
1: we know of from our class from our class isn't that oh, i i'm a wondering question i mean every- the only per- the only person i ever think of um as having Died like kind of close to that time or whatever was Michael Maggio, but oh, no yeah. I, students. I don't think yeah. so. Although there are some people I we can't I'm read. Sure yeah. We just never heard. You know, yeah, I've never heard from. So
0: I just, I just it's just weird because you think like we made it pretty far. If none of us really yeah. croaked, I yeah. mean, shit. Yeah.
1: The yeah. odds,
0: you know, knock wood, knock wood. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, I would love to go back as well, and I wish some of it. None of it was taped, right? Because this is
1: pre. Yeah, none of it. I know. That's what I was thinking too, watching that nine eleven documentary, like, wow, there was enough people. I mean, I barely had a cell phone in two thousand and one. There was enough people with cameras and it could it was before smartphones, so they weren't cameras on their phone. They had to have had a video camera. So I have right? a
0: friend, yeah, I have a friend that said as soon as, because her dad was a, 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 an art, artist and I believe a photographer, and uh, and I believe instilled in her like always start taking pictures. So she was down there on that day, and she went into a bodega and bought like ten disposable cameras, oh. and just started clicking, clicking, clicking. Because she knew. But I would have been right. so scared. I mean, I wouldn't have the for the insight to do that. But yeah, people started clicking. They started. I mean, people knew. Somehow. And because
1: yeah and because of that they you know they were they've been able to make these comprehensive you know pu- putting together the story because that was the thing about that day is like you know on the news they did not want to show the people jumping from the buildings thank you for that um but that means I didn't know about that and for <laughs> until like five years ago right um I, I had some vague understanding. Did you sit there all day and watch the news?
0: Yeah. So I, I did for like the first, we had a TV, which is shocking because we don't now, but it would have been all on. Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, we had an actual TV. I didn't have a cell phone, but yes, I watched the news for the first three days straight. And then, and then my, my roommate at the time was like, we got to stop. We can't, this is, this is insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. Um, but it was, okay. And here's another weird thing about processing stuff. It didn't have anything to do with 9-11. My closest um, connection to it was that I was supposed to have been working there. You know, when I was uh, contemplating doing a graduate degree in, <laughs> that's something we've never talked about before. I had no. what? a conversation for another time. I went through this period of trying to go to graduate school for some esoteric theater. I don't even, I honestly, I can't even remember. I was trying to get my PhD in theater somehow. Theater. Not like theater studies, of the mind. Like the, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And like abstract concepts of theater. Oh, it was just oh my God. the wrong thing for me. Right. But one of the programs that I was looking at was at NYU and I got into it Um. And the reason I did, and and I was working at Deloitte and Touche in San Francisco mm-hmm. at the time, and I had met with or talked with somebody from corporate, and they and said you, that I could work part time at the one, and it was at oh. it was at one of the shorter World Trade, uh-huh. and I also and I already knew what my schedule was going to be because I was going to have class Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I was going to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays, oh. so I know I would have been there. That's the only connection I have to it, but um, I still it was a trauma for our whole country you know even if you didn't even if you weren't there even if you don't know anybody who died and and as it turns out I needed to process that too (laughs) and I watched this documentary and for me I think the processing was like oh now I just have the story like I didn't have the story was it turning point I'm sorry
0: is it called turning point which one was
1: it no it's a national geographic Uh thing and I have, there's a million documentaries about 9 11. I've never watched any of them. Um, and I thought, you know, it's probably time for me to like revisit that. And I did what I remember the the, the traumatic thing. I was working as a um, teacher at in, oh, in Richmond, California. Um, so it was 6 30 in the morning in California. We didn't have a TV my, I didn't have a cell phone. So my, our phone was ringing we were asleep and my phone was, our phone was ringing. And it was the time where millennials, we used to get answering machines. Yep. And when people would call, you could hear it turn on. You, it would be a tape. And it, I fucking can't believe we have to explain this, but yes, it's true. <laughs> and my mom was calling and in my half asleep, I'm like, why is she calling me so earlier, so early? And I heard her say, she was, I heard her crying saying, I think it's world war three. I'm like, Oh, my mom's being dramatic. I went back to sleep. My dad, my dad calls pumpkin. Are you okay? So I got up and I went, I'm like, how do we, find- <laughs> there's no yeah, internet. You're- there's no TV. How do you find what did you anything? Do? I ran down to grand Avenue and I went into a bunch of places like, do you have a TV? <laughs> and they're like, no, no. Um, so I went into a bakery that had a the guy, the guy was playing a radio and I just sat there and, uh, but then I had to go to work. So I got dressed and I went to work. And when I got there, you know, the this administration was kind of milling around and they had, we had, a, we started the day with an assembly and, and, and then the principal told us what was happening more than what I knew. I thought it was an accident by the, by the time I was at school, I thought it was an accident. And when he told us, I just started crying. And then my students were shocked. you know, they were really affected by that. And I felt like I had to lie to them about why I was crying. I said, Oh, I know people in New York. Yeah. Because I had this idea that it wasn't acceptable for me to be upset that a bunch of people I didn't know were dying. Right. Um, Anyway. So if you haven't processed 9-11 and you need to, I recommend watching a documentary about it. It's funny to think about the things that you like, you'd really just have to work through it all. You just
0: really do. There's no, there's no way around it if you're committed to, personal health like inner and outer you you gotta process stuff it's really hard and it sucks but i don't know of a different way
1: yeah yeah so what is the overarching thing that helped you survive
0: i would say the overarching thing that has helped me survive well, I'll start first in the small term is like this of this last, right, of this last couple of years, or I don't even know, like the pandemic seems to have gone on for like this weird time. So I can't even say, but um, I would say the last two years has been a year and a half do literally doing the next right thing for me, because I feel like. Taking care of immediate needs, processing information, and trying to take the next right step has been the only way to not get overwhelmed and want to um, revert to really old behaviors. So meaning that and the way I could do that is just support of a team of a team, of a team. So I am a huge proponent of when I started my like healing work, I would say was really when my dad died right at 30. And I thought I, it was the one, the first time in my life I was 30 years old. It was 2006. I thought I cannot do this by myself. It was the first time in my life. I knew that I, I was out of my league in terms of I can handle this. I can do this. I can make this work. I can, I can cope first time in my life. And that lesson has saved me of knowing that I I cannot do it on my own has saved me through the pandemic, through all the hard things in my life, meaning assemble a team, but like a real team, meaning, and I don't even mean a business team. People are like, what are you talking, but like, get yourself a care team. I think we all need care teams. Now look, easier said than done, but let me tell you something. I've gone to clinics. I've gone to free shit. I've gone to, I knew I've gotten free acupuncture. Like I think, how I survive is somehow, and maybe it's being the sort of neglected child of two weirdos, that the amount of resources that I am able to gather in a short amount of time, despite being in tremendous pain, the resource gathering has helped me to survive. So like, who do I need to call? Who can I contact? what, where can I, and then I was able to do that with my clients as a therapist. And then when my mom died, I was able to do it again for myself. And then when the pandemic hit, same thing, I was like, okay, what do we need? So it's interesting. I'm extremely, um, right. As scared as I feel a lot of times when push comes to shove, I'm extremely good at gathering resources in a crisis. So I think that has helped me. It has also not allowed me at times to process things as they're happening, which I don't think we can do really, but, but, but it is, it has prolonged my, my like opening back the door. But in the moment, if I can say, Hey, right. How can I get through this? Who can I ask for help? How can I help? it has, that has been my saving, saving grace of like um, my whole life of resource, resource gathering and asking for help, even though I don't want to, but when push comes to shoves, I I shove, I will, I will say, Hey, I'm really struggling. And, but I learned that at 30 and I think it's helped me extremely in the last 16 years. So yeah, yeah, I cannot tell you the, um, the, the humbling, horrific hell experience of literally when my dad died, dropping, I remember being in miles old childhood home, which was falling apart and being like, dropping to my knees at one point and saying, okay, I cannot do this. I don't know who's running the show here. People talk about God, people talk, but I literally am at my wits end. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever felt like that. And as scary as it was, it sort of led me to, to being really open to asking for help. So for me, survival is extremely linked, like true survival, like not just getting by true survival is linked to gathering resources and asking for help in any given situation. And that, that is just a team is so essential for when shit goes wrong because it always goes wrong
1: yeah it takes a village yeah it literally does i thought
0: that was garbage i thought that was complete i thought that's what people say who aren't strong enough savvy enough cool enough pretty enough thin enough whatever enough i thought that's garbage and it is truly not garbage. It is and, and and it's not garbage because like the cave paintings, we've known about villages since the beginning of freaking humankind. So of course it takes a village.
1: <laughs> and there's all what makes me sad sometimes is to think about all the people like my sister who are in their house oh. right now feeling alone, feeling isolated and and the thing is isolation begets isolation. The more isolated you are, the less you can entertain the idea of ever reaching out to somebody or, or, or being with people. Um, and I, I, I just, it pains me to think about how many people continue, even with all the information that's available to all of us persist with the, with the false belief that nobody understands them. Nobody can help them that they're unique in their suffering it it that's why they call it in 12 step programs terminal uniqueness yeah the more unique you think you are in your pain and your suffering the likely you likelier you are to die from that yeah and the other thing i would say is like
0: if you are in pain please wander into some kind of support group and you don't have to say anything but that is that is what saved me in terms of all kinds of groups, but like just wandering in and sitting down figuring and, and being like, I'm never coming back here again or whatever, but like just wander in and, and figure and and sit down for a little bit because if nothing else, so people are like, okay, but why did you end up, you know, in like Al-Anon your dad, you know, your dad wasn't a drinker. He was addicted. To, anyway, whatever. It was literally like being, because we don't have as adults places to go to be babysat, right? Like we, we don't have that unless you check in somewhere, which is if you need to check in, check in. But I'm just saying like, I wasn't trying to hurt myself. I just didn't have anywhere to go. And so going to a 12 step group or any kind of support group that's free, whatever your jam is, it was like, baby, I went to three meetings a day. Like I, because I had, what else was I doing? The other thing was I was going to be alone in my house on my knees, crying and freaking out Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: I could not sustain because that would lead eventual to self-harm because like, like Mm -hmm. we know, like my father, like your sister, that doesn't lead anywhere that's good. So, Somewhere I must've known. And, you know, I met people that were like, just come to this group. And I was like, I don't really belong here, but I have literally nothing else. In some ways I was blessed and cursed that I had no job. I had no nothing. I had nothing in my life other than a place to stay at my mother's house. Like that's what I had. And so I was like, what do I do literally during the day? I, yeah. I, I don't know what to do. And I'm freaking out. And they were like, just go to a meeting. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to a church. Okay. Whatever. And then I thought, Oh my gosh, these people aren't, I mean, some of them are weird, but like no one's saying to me, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? You don't belong here. Um, uh, you have to hold it together. So they were saying things that worked for me and it was free and I had nothing else to do. Literally. My mother was working. Everyone else was like, we have a life. Like, I don't know what you're doing.
1: (laughs) P.S. There's not a person in the world who can't find some 12-step group to relate to. Like, as I've said many times, our world is riddled with codependence. Even if your parents didn't drink, if you relate to the things that we've been talking about, trust me, I always say this about somebody else that I know yeah your parents didn't drink but you you grew up in an alcoholic family i don't know how else to tell you but that's what (laughs) they did they did all of the other behaviors you know so like coda
0: like mm go to
1: any i don't care what it is if you
0: have nowhere to go those people will take you i'm Mm -hmm. telling you they Mm -hmm. will take you and
1: the shit is free that's what i always say yeah and the and the principles are universally applicable yeah. It and, doesn't and, have to be about alcohol. And it, and it just gave me a pl- literally like I
0: had no place to go until I got a little better and then I could say okay, now I feel like I could make and and an- PS, I ended up going to a day program. Because I was like, okay, I think I need a higher level of care because I'm not I'm not functioning and these people are trained in mental health. So let me go there and I have the resources insurance wise. Thank you, Nicolas Cage. And so let me just go. And then I I was able to. But if you need a place to land, that's not going to like judge you and like, and like be, and be assholes, then find yourself a 12 step group. That's how I've survived. That's really all I can say It's like, yeah, people that have helped me and groups and then resources, just re- finding resources.
1: And they're all, uh, mo- almost every 12 step group is, has online options now, yep. or even yep. call in, they have the, you know, uh, you can call in yes. to a meeting and you don't even have to say anything. You Not a word. Say- be on your walk and have your earphones in and just be listening to people. It's it's it never ceases to amaze me. I, I finally gotten to the point where I can tell myself. If I'm feeling bad, hey, you probably need to reach out to somebody. Yes, but it still never ceases to amaze me how much better I feel when I put myself out there and ask for somebody's help, and they're able to give it to me. I mean, the danger is for me has always been sometimes they can't help you, right. but that doesn't mean it's you're not worthy of the help. No, or it just or that you don't fine. need.
0: You need to find someone else then because, because you just go to the next, like you, you can, I just, yeah, you, you, you just go, okay, that person, not a good fit. I'm not gonna, but I'm in so much pain and I need so much help that I'm willing to try someone else. You'll find someone that says something to you that is going to click with you eventually. And, and, you know, I remember, I mean, and just, I just don't want people to sit also in feeling misinformation in terms of like when I started having panic attacks, this was even earlier when I, you know, at Pacino's on uh, my first panic attack ever was on at Pacino's on um, Lincoln and Webster. Right. Or somewhere around there.
1: Yeah. Lincoln, and, and, Yeah.
0: Seinfeld was on, and I remember thinking, "Oh, I'm schizophrenic," because I had no information about. So I walked around thinking, "Oh, I, I'm schizophrenic," until I finally went to a doctor who said, "No, you are, you have a panic disorder." And I was like, "What is that?" So anyway, we need to know. For me, in all my struggles too, what has survived helped me survive, especially during the pandemic, is get the data, and especially with my own health things, I'm like, get the data, get more information. Don't before you freak the f out get some data, everybody look at the data helps have someone help you look at the data and then make a choice. That's what helps me survive. Because when I'm making choices from that place inside me, that is the, the really, really traumatized and neglected five-year-old. It is a, not a good, it never, it never works out well. Like Mm -hmm. for me, you know, it's not like it even looks bad. It just feels really bad. So, um, yeah, get the data is the other thing
1: that's helped me survive. Like
0: what's the information here?
1: By the way, how's it going with your five-year-old self? You know, it's going bet Like I feel a little,
0: so my five-year-old self, I've sort of placed into Doris. Um, oh, I right. love
1: that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So when, because
0: sometimes with my own self, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is ridiculous. I'm talking to my five. This is crazy. Blah, blah, blah. So I put it into my little puppy and I'm like, oh my God, would I tell her like, shut up, get it together. You piece of, you know, and I'm like, I would never say that if someone was saying that to Doris, I would literally throw them over a bridge. So like I, I put it into Doris and I'm just like, okay, a patience. So then I'm like, can I have patience for myself? This dog, you know, the dog is learning where to pee and poo. Am I going to berate the dog or am I going to try to teach the dog? So that's what I, and then I'm like, can I show that compassion for myself? Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, but it's better than, than like, cause I had closed, like we were talking about, I had tried to close the door on that inner child. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work.
1: It doesn't work. She comes out in every way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She will not be denied. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you mm